Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. I'm glad you could attend. Come inside. Come inside. You are listening to Season 1, Episode 6 of Let's Talk Hemp in the 422. I'm your co-host, Morris Beagle, hanging out with my partner in hemp spirit, Rick Trojan. And here at the 422, every day is Earth Day. I was going to have Doug Fine on today, but we got a bit sideswiped with a GW Pharma situation this week. And we'll get to Doug on next week's show. So... Today's guests include lobbyist and political consultant Cindy Sylvine from Sylvine Consulting and Tim Gordon, president of the Colorado Hemp Industries Association and CEO of Functional Remedies and CBDRX. We'll be discussing GW Pharma and new legislation being proposed in Colorado and possible scenarios of how the cannabinoid markets will develop from a natural products, nutraceuticals, pharmaceutical, medical, and recreational cannabis standpoint. There has been quite a bit of hoopla on social media regarding this topic, along with a hearty dose of misinformation and derogatory falsehoods that really need to be addressed. I will say that about 90% of the hemp industry is united to a strong degree and working in a professional manner together, and the remaining 10% is either uninterested, uninformed, misinformed, or outright malicious and divisive. Moving on, email us questions at the 422 at com, and you can check out archived episodes of the 422 at blogtalkradio.com and blogtalkradio.com slash We'd love to hear some feedback. Also check out hempevents.org for the latest information on hemp-related events for 2018 taking place around the USA and around the world. We've added several new events this last week and have a couple more key events we'll be announcing by NOCO Hemp Expo coming up this April. And on that note, I'll turn it over to Rick for an update on current happenings, and then we'll jump into the interview with Cindy and Tim. Rick, my brother, what is up? Hey, Mark. Thanks. Uh, episode six. Holy cow. Rocking and rolling. So this is some crazy news this week. Earlier this week, under the code name, I love this code name, Operation Candy Crush. The Rutherford County businesses closed. Uh, 23 different companies are accused of selling CBD candy, which they say, according to Tennessee law, is now a marijuana product. Anything over 0.9% in the actual end product, so Tennessee passed the law indicating the end product must be less than 0.9% THC. Uh, but apparently these people raided the sheriff, uh, Mike Spitzberg, and his crew raided some folks, 23 folks exactly, and said essentially they sprayed this, this, uh, the spice drug with the legal substance and then they repackage it. That would be a tragic thing to happen to any family. We do want to caution parents. We certainly don't want our kids getting into this. So apparently they're afraid of uh, of gummies containing CBD, and they essentially went and padlocked these uh, these stores throughout Tennessee, Middle Tennessee, essentially. Uh, and essentially, if you possess this, if you possess CBD without a prescription, you have broken the law. If you are selling this without a prescription, or if you're not a pharmacy selling it to someone with the, with a prescription for it, you have broken the law. Essentially, saying that you have to be a pharmacy to sell CBD in Tennessee. So when we heard this, we obviously raised it to the attention of Vote Hemp. Hemp Industries Association, the Tennessee uh, chapter of HIA, uh, commented on this as well. Uh, They're just completely out of line uh, when it comes to these kinds of raids. And um, it's, it's absolutely absurd, but uh, they're doing it. They're saying for the safety of the children. Uh, again, no one has ever overdosed from cannabinoids, CBD, or THC, for that matter, or CBG or CBN. Uh, the receptors are lacking in the brain, from what I'm told by doctors. So, all this craziness, uh, raiding these stores over something that is really not illegal, that is good, law enforcement has confused, all in the name of safety for our children, but really it's not 
in the name of safety because there's no safety issue. So that's what's happening in Tennessee. We have hemp legislation out there that gives the go-ahead for producing all parts of the plant, hemp-derived CBD, cannabinoid products. That's already a law out there. Their program allows for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because in Tennessee, they actually were the first, I believe, the first state to pass a law that allowed for any THC over 0.3, which is the limit at the federal level. Uh, again, the limit's completely arbitrary and absurd. It's on a component of a plant that, that doesn't make any sense. But in any event, uh, Tennessee was able to get a 0.6% THC level for the purposes of research. And the hemp road trip went to Middle Tennessee State last year and was actually saw some of the research that was being done there on uh, cannabis, industrial cannabis, up to 0.6% THC. So they were actually ahead of the curve when it came to research, and now they just, you know, like a lot of these states, Indiana and, and Tennessee and some of these states are just stepping backwards because they just don't understand. There's some misinformation out there when it comes to law enforcement and attorney generals and different agencies in these states where hemp is legal, all parts of the hemp plant, hemp CBD derived extract, all of that is legal. It's never been illegal. It's not part of the Controlled Substances Act. Correct. And that's going to lead us into our interesting discussion with Cindy and Tim about GW Pharma, because that's obviously a concern that we all have is big pharma coming in and disrupting the cannabinoid market, the supplements market that's developed the last several years that's booming and driving this industry and providing all kinds of great products for people of all ages. They're wellness products that belong in everybody's supplements cabinet and medicine cabinet. Well, the reality is, and we heard Tim talk about this pretty extensively, is there's room enough for for everyone in this market. There's there's such a need for, there's such a deficiency of cannabinoids in people's lives. And really, this generation of children is the first ones born without any at all in their lives. So it's it's absolutely uh, necessary that we get as many cannabinoids in people's hands uh, that are uh, made, made, um, not necessarily organically, but just made uh, well with good practices. Uh, not necessarily good practices or government stamps up, but the good practices in general. But it's amazing and important that we need to get this in everyone's hands. So there's a pharmaceutical lane, there's a nutraceutical lane, there's a supplement lane, and a food lane. So uh, plenty of places, plenty of room for us to swim. And we're going to get into that conversation about these different swim lanes for the industry and the big pharmaceutical side of things. We all know that's going to exist. We've all known it was going to exist. It's just a matter of protecting whether that's the recreational side of the market that's developed and the medical side, as well as the hemp side, the industrial side, the nutritional side, the nutraceutical side, the supplement side, where we are using all parts of the plant. We're using extracts. We're using cannabidiol. We're going to protect all that, and there's going to be room for everybody, like you said. Let's uh, move along and get into what Cindy and Tim have to say about this. Welcome back to Let's Talk Hemp and the 422. And this week we have Cindy Sovine from Sovine Consulting, as well as Tim Gordon from Cohia, Colorado Hemp Industries Association and Functional Remedies. We're going to be talking about GW Pharma and some current legislation going on today and what's happening with that. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you for having me. So, Cindy, go ahead and tell us what uh, what is this bill that uh, people were talking about earlier this week and today? Well, Rick, GW Pharma is the 
legislation across the country. They believe they are weeks away from having Epidiolex be approved by the FDA, and they're seeking to be able to sell that medication um, and have it dispensed through licensed pharmacies. Here in Colorado, the only reason that uh, they have stated that they are seeking legislation is because in 2008, when the medical dispensaries were popping up all over the state, and specifically in Denver, there were a number of pharmacies that had concerns of people walking in the door at Walgreens looking for marijuana. And so as a result, they wanted to make it clear for their own intents that it was not something that a pharmacy could dispense. And so they passed a law, which is Statute 1818-41-4V, that talks about how it, no pharmacy will disperse uh, any marijuana or derivative thereof. And so at now, flash forward 10 years later, well, there's actually a pharmaceutical company looking to have a federally approved drug prescribed for this for a dialex, which is for seizures. These, they can't do it because of this particular state law. So they introduced House Bill 18-1187, um, and they reached out to a number of stakeholders, including uh, a number of people in the health community that uh, we, we worked with on the language to take a look at and figure out what it was exactly they were trying to do and then ensure that nothing they did in that legislation would in any way restrict or otherwise affect access to either marijuana that is authorized under the Constitution and sections, statutes 43.3 and 43.4 or any of the industrial hemp and derivatives thereof, which are authorized under the Colorado Constitution and the statutes as well. So uh, the, those are protections that we immediately worked to seek out um, to put into this bill uh, as soon as we knew that it was coming, which basically carves out the, the hemp and the marijuana industries entirely from anything that that legislation would do. Now, there's a number of things that are happening. Um, the bill is currently scheduled to be held next week in committee on Tuesday, um, but there have been a number of concerns that are that have been generated, and so as a result of, of some of those concerns, we've been working with GW Pharma and their lobbyists to amend the legislation to be more clear that the only thing that they are doing is restoring their ability to dispense through pharmacies that drug and to ensure that any parent who is possessing that drug on behalf of their child is able to do so because it's still marijuana by definition. So they need to be able to allow for possession and transportation of epidiolex in the state of Colorado outside of the traditional means that they have now. So this is what we are commonly referring to as the pharmaceutical lane for all intents and purposes. They can't sell epidiolex in a pharmacy. They can't, or excuse me, they can't sell it in a dispensary. The only way that the, this drug can be distributed is if it is prescribed by a doctor and dispensed through a pharmacy, a licensed pharmacy, as an FDA-approved drug that has gone through the clinical trial process. So that is the scope of the legislation. It will remain having the language with the carve-out. Um, but I really appreciate the opportunity to give you the like 10,000-foot level of what's going on, and I think maybe we can just dial it down and let me know if you have any questions or start from there. Can you explain this pharmaceutical lane? 
as opposed to, let's say, the, the hemp nutraceutical lane as opposed to the recreational cannabis lane? Absolutely. I think that um, probably the, the the way that I've come to look at it is there's going to be a pharmaceutical lane, a nutraceutical lane, and an industrial hemp lane, right? And that is for um, industrial purposes. But pharmaceutical lane starting there, it's going to be FDA-approved drugs. So that's anything that's gone through the clinical trial process. In order to do that, it takes a company, and any company can do this, by the way. In order to do that, you have to have millions of dollars and about 10 years in, in patients to get through all of, the, all of the paperwork and the trials, the tests, and everything to get that drug through that process to where the FDA will approve it. That's about average of where that's at in the pharmaceutical industry. So companies that have started 10 years ago or, or, or you know, more recently are now in the pipeline, and we're going to continue to see drugs that will be approved in their, whole, in their form for a, under the definition of marijuana or a derivative thereof. And those are going to continue to happen all over the country. So this is coming. We can't, I mean, we, you know, if there was a way to kill this bill, I mean, there's no way to stop what is happening. What we need to be doing is figuring out a way to get the pharmaceutical companies to swim in their lane. And that's what we're doing with this legislation is really creating the pathway that they say that they're trying to have without doing anything to inhibit access to the nutraceutical lane as, as it exists. And moving into the nutraceutical lane, I can I consider all of the hemp-based products that we, we talk about today and CBD is part of that as well. But they are, they are products that will continue to remain today, that will continue to um, exist in access and cultivation and in process. Repeatedly, it has been made clear that the intention of this legislation is not to do anything to affect, to affect any of these industries as they exist today. So we are holding them accountable to that by making it clear in black and white. The only thing that they get to do is have the lane where they're prescribing and dispensing through a pharmacy. And we're making it clear in black and white that they're doing nothing to touch these industries as they exist today, both under the Constitution, their enacting statutes, or any other provisions in state law, which is really, really great language for the hemp industry compared to what's going on nationwide. Thank you for that explanation. That is very informative. And that leads to a question for you, Tim. As a producer of cannabinoid products in the hemp side of things and a leading brand with functional remedies and working with the Hemp Roundtable and CD Sciences and CW and Bluebird, how does that industry and, and that group of companies that's been driving legislations, how do you feel about the pharmaceutical side and, and how these are separating? Sure, Morris. Thanks a lot. And Rick, thanks. And it's also great to have Cindy here and have her uh, really speak on a, you know, a, a high level of, of what's happening here in regards to this bill. You know, I, I, I won't speak on behalf of, of my colleagues, but I'll I'll, I'll speak. Uh, I'll speak on behalf of my experience in the industry and what I see as the call, uh, what I see as the the evolution of the cannabis industry. 
And uh, since I've been involved since early 2000, I've watched this happen. And I've always, you know, from my 50,000-foot view, seen a swim lane of cannabis pharma, a naturally occurring cannabinoid products, and a recreational market, along with what Cindy referred to as the industrial side, um, uh, being very, uh, you know, strong and prevalent also. And, and here we are in the very beginning of it real time right now, and it's unfolding here. And, and what we've done here in Colorado is really a step above what's been happening nationwide. And it's really, you know, Cindy has done a great job at steering uh, and being, you know, in close talks with the GW Pharma lobbyists and saying, you know, we, we don't really uh, uh, support the initial writing of the bill, but let's make some revisions to create the swim lane of existence where they can have their specific pharma prescribed epidiolex drug where it's uh, very um, uh, uh, ailment and injury specific to Dravet syndrome and another neurological deficit syndrome and, you know, just curtailing it there. Because like Cindy said, it's happening and it's happening across the country, whether it's GW, whether it's Merck, Pfizer, it's happening. These trials are in process and the cannabis industry as it evolves, will form these swim lanes, and there'll be success within those swim lanes. So um, here we are unfolding real time, and we in Colorado are here really leading the legislative pathway for the nation to be able to cooperate within these swim lanes. So it, it's, a, it's a true honor. It's a true honor to represent the industry in a strong, classy way like Cindy has done, like Ohio has done, and really exemplify what it takes to be a leader rather than a naysayer or industry pointer like we have here in Colorado. So Tim, tell us what, tell us, Cindy, tell us what, uh, what we've, what, how we've changed from the start of the bill, uh, that how it's changed and do you accept, do you anticipate the votes getting out of the committee tomorrow? Or getting out of the committee next week on Tuesday? Yeah, thank you. I was just going to clarify that as well. So it is in committee next Tuesday, uh, in the afternoon and so the bill is introduced, uh, Rick, it makes it clear that the Food and Drug, the Food and Drug Administration approves a prescribing medication that contains cannabidiol. Thereafter, prescribing, dispensing, transporting, possessing, and using that prescription drug is legal in Colorado. And there was some language in the introduced bill that discussed how it basically said, notwithstanding any provision of law, to the contrary, if the FDA approves prescription drug containing cannabidiol as it relates to the drug, approval activities are lawful. And so the language there then kind of defers to the FDA by default. At least it could be construed as such. And I think that there was some concern expressed around that uh, while it, it's only specific to this particular legislation, you were able to go back to GW Pharma and say, can we just make this more clear around your goal? If your goal is to restore the statute that it prohibits you from dispensing this, having this drug dispensed, then can we just do that? And that is going to um, be the goal of that, that amendment. And yes, we also removed the word cannabidiol and replaced it with marijuana or derivatives thereof. So those changes um, are very beneficial and positive for the industry, as well as being able to have language that carves out 
the both of the marijuana and the industrial hemp statutes and constitutional provisions. It's a marijuana bill. Well, it it still allows them to dispense their drugs because it removes the prohibiting statute and it gets rid of the cannabidiol language, which is what's got I think a lot of people concerned. And I I was you know, we've worked on this language for months now. This is not a new issue and it's something that continued to distribute to attorneys um all over the place, um, in a number of different firms to review to make sure that we weren't missing something. But I think that at the end of the day, the amendment that's going to come forward is just much more clear about this is what they are doing, this is how they're doing it, and by the way, we're still carving out both hemp and marijuana statutes to protect them from anything else happening from this from this bill. So it's pretty black and white. We're still waiting on the language from the drafter, so until I see it and can compare it to the statute, I won't know for sure that it does what we're saying that it does, but assuming that that's the case. These are very positive benefits for the hemp industry on this legislation. And it would be really great to see people unite around them. So speaking of united, I, I just ran across uh, earlier today a uh, website, uh, Grow Hemp Colorado, and it said here there's a stakeholder meeting coming up, but uh, and Tim, since you are the president of the Colorado chapter of the Hemp Industries Association, uh, it speaks to your organization directly. And it says, please be aware, this is in regards to, a, they call it the GW Farm Bill, Pharma Bill here in Colorado. Please be aware, Bob Hoban, the HIA.Colorado, and all members of the Hemp Policy Roundtable are currently in support of this bill language as is according to their lobbyists and HIA Colorado, which is actually you, Cindy, right? So GHC, so Grow Hemp Colorado and all of our members are not in favor of the bill. The Colorado hemp industry is not in support of the bill as it, as it is and agrees it must not pass committee. So there's quite a bit of, apparently some people follow this uh, website. So Tim, let me ask you, is this true? Um, no, Rick, I appreciate, I appreciate you the opportunity to speak on this. And, and first off, let me say that no representative of Grow Hemp Colorado represents the Colorado hemp industry in any manner whatsoever. Colorado Hemp Industry Association has always been the leaders uh, uh, as far as advocacy for the hemp industry here in Colorado and will continue to be that. So, you know, in, in response to what Grow Hemp Colorado has, has said, you know, it's the, in my opinion, uh, you know, lack of, of, of true industry sense here. Um, their initial response to jump out ahead of the game and say, kill the bill, kill the bill as it's first written. When folks who have been around industry and legislation have the general understanding that a bill is introduced and then there's several revisions, amendments, talk through. And that's what Cindy has done so eloquently on behalf of the hemp industry, behalf of COHIA and the Hemp Policy Roundtable. While not representing anything to do with Grow Hemp Colorado, we have successfully laid out the parameters for this dual swim lanes of success. So, you know, the folks at Grow Hemp Colorado will continue likely to uh, badmouth the industry, and it does nothing other than misguide their members in the industry in general and misrepresent most of the industry. At this juncture and at this point, the uh, the general response for uh, folks at Grow Hemp Colorado is you need to step it up. The, the lack of business class and the lack of wherewithal um, is looking bad on the industry. 
and you do not represent the industry whatsoever. Yeah, I think the um, I've had some run-ins, particularly with I believe who's the main proprietor of uh, Graham Colorado, uh, and uh, and even I mean, even to my face, she said stuff that was completely not factual. So there's uh, there's the miscommunication there, and I appreciate you and Colorado HIA and the Hemp Policy Roundtable uh, taking the lead in this. And um, we know legislation is a sausage-making process. And if we don't, don't learn it because it is a sausage-making process and stay stay ignorant. But trust us, it's a, a long road. There's a lot of ins and outs and pulls and tugs. And so uh, I think what sounds like what we have at the end of the day uh, is worth taking a strong look at. So I'm excited to see how this language comes out and uh, appreciate your guys' work on uh, protecting the marijuana and the hemp industry and uh, look forward to seeing how, how the language trusts. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. We'll see you uh, next week in uh, committee, maybe. Thanks again to Cindy Sylvine and Tim Gordon for joining us here at Let's Talk Hemp in the 422. At the 422, every day is Earth Day, and on a whole, we are not fans of big pharma, big ag, big oil, big government, and corporate oligarchy, but we also realize the environment and the reality in which we live and operate and understand that we have to strategically maneuver through this highly sophisticated system to make changes we need to make to protect our industry chess game, the marathon. It's not a sprint and it's not about attacking people and organizations in the industry based on false or misleading information. We need to be united, not divided. That's what I represent. That's what Rick represents. That's what NOCO Hemp Expo represents. That's what the Hemp Road Trip represents and several other organizations around the country and globe. It's all about the right intentions and our intentions are clear. Dude, it's like it's like a chess match and a marathon. It's like a chessathon. It's like if you had Bobby Fisher against um, who's that marathon? Like Tree Fontaine. Who do you think would win in a chess a, match versus like a biathlon, like a chess match? Like biathlon now, you like ski and then you shoot. This you would like run and then you play chess and then you'd run. I so what's Bobby the word? Fisher. A chess a chessathon? Chessathon. Chessathon. Yeah, like chess. Like chess, like play a chess match, but a thon because you just put a thon at the end of everything because that's how people do it. So that's what's done. Uh, so that makes it like. Wow, really that, I think that's a new term that we really need to introduce because it really is a chessathon. Hashtag yeah, chessathon. Like chess I like it. It's we like came up with a new one. It's like a marathon's like a long marriage, right? Like it's that's why people want to run and get it over as fast as possible. <laughs> that's from the Greeks, man. It's from the Greeks. Yeah. Hey, if if nothing else with this episode, we came up with the one thing that's most important. It's a chess-a-thon. It is. That is is probably the most important thing we've talked about all day today, is the (laughs) chess-a-thon that we just created. Hashtag (laughs) Christmas problems. All right. What else do we got here before we wrap up this show? I'm going to wrap it up right now, I think. All right, right, brother man. So um, check this out in the little wrap-up of, I like to call out some irony and some, you know, just straight-up bullshit. So in looking at this whole raid against the CBD stores and against THC, and and recently we testified here in Colorado for use of marijuana socks, which have zero, essentially zero THC, for use in non-wovens and, and other fibrous material, and, and there was a big scare about about these uh, the, the THC and where it goes and diversion and all this. And 
Everyone's freaking out. Again, no one has died from overdose of THC. No one has died from the overdose of CBD or CBG or any other cannabinoid. But recently, about two weeks ago, Vice, our friends over there at Vice, River Donaghy has a report that said almost 100 people have called poison control for eating Tide Pods this year. Because, again, they're not food. Now, this is on the front page in the headlines of Vice. Essentially, according to the news report, the American Association of Poison Control Centers, 86 people have called a poison control center in 2018. This is before the end of January, by the way. So 86 people have called in three weeks the Center for uh, Disease or the Center for Poison Control. More than half came in the last week of the month. So these kids and people are eating these Tide Pods, and they can lead to seizure, pulmonary edema, respiratory arrest, coma, and even death. And YouTube actually started deleting videos because of the Tide Pod Challenge, which is these kids are eating this thing. And it's actually sending 200-some people to the hospital. Half or a quarter of them have done it intentionally. It's absolutely insane. I don't see the, I don't see the Tennessee, uh, Middle Tennessee cops going into Walmart and arresting all the Walmart employees and, and going into Procter & Gamble and arresting the CEO of Procter & Gamble for killing children, literally killing children all across the country. No, they're raiding, they spend their time raiding natural food stores and, and gummy bears that, that uh, children with epilepsy take to literally deal with their, with their epilepsy. Completely misguided, completely ironic. Uh, I don't even know the right word without saying anything that's not nice. It's just absolutely absurd that Tide is, has literally killed more people than cannabis since Tide Pods came out, which is the last couple of years. So they're not making them redo their pods. They're not making them do – I mean, it's, it's up. YouTube instead is deleting videos of the Tide Pod Challenge in hopes that kids don't do this, right? So it's just absolutely stupid uh, how misguided our, our law enforcement is when it comes to this, this issue and how misguided it is when they say they're out for safety, when in reality, if they were out for safety, these, these places would be shut down and tied, and Procter & Gamble would be arrested today. So it's obviously not about safety. I just wanted to share that story with you. I think it's crazy. In the first month, we had 100 people eating Tide Pods and calling poison control, and nothing's being done about it. Nothing legitimate. So I think it's crazy. Anyways, that's the wrap for this week. <laughs> Tide Pods. So people are eating Tide Pods, right? Dr. Bronner's has the soap. Dr. Bronner's soap has a bunch of different flavored soap. I have literally washed my bus, washed my, my laundry, washed myself. And last weekend at the retreat, I, I was able to wash. I forgot um, my toothpaste. So I was able to wash my mouth with this. Didn't taste great, but it didn't kill me. I could literally ingest this stuff, and it wouldn't kill me because it's made with all natural products and hemp oil and not chemicals. So there is a solution out there that already exists that isn't Tide Pod. So let's do a let's not do a Dr. Bronner's pod eating contest because that'd be a nightmare. I don't want that backlash from that. But hopefully we'd have less people in trouble than in Tide. Actually, we would because I I put it in my mouth and we're good. So there is a solution with hemp that could blow up this Tide Pod challenge, and we wouldn't have 226 people calling the respiratory or the Center for Poison Control. So boom, hemp again. Hemp can solve the problem, and it already is if we just let it. Thumbs up, Dr. Bronner, solving the Tide Pod problem. Well, that's it for this week's show. Check out letstalkhemp.com for episode archives and other hemp and cannabis-related news and videos. And until next time, Brother Rick, rock on. Rock on, Bob.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.